in our study of 1 Peter and his presentation of the passage with regard to the chief cornerstone that is to be laid in Zion. We have looked at it now for two weeks. We are going to continue that this week uh, by taking it. We have looked at the concept of what the principles of God are, that they are consistent, that he always operates by those same principles that are for he is trustworthy. And when we talk about God being immutable, unchanging, uh, this is really what we're focusing in on, is that he is faithful to those promises, to the principles. He doesn't violate them. And that makes him uh, unchangeable. The immutability of God makes him reliable. That we know that he did not change those principles over time, uh, but rather they were the same principles all the way from creation all the way to the new creation. They will always be the same principles as the foundation truth that has tested and proven, and the Bible declares Jesus Christ being the culmination of those principles, being the fullness of them. Whether you want to look at the principles in the garden, in the patriarchal period, in the post-flood era, in the time of Israel, uh, in the intertestamental period, in the uh, New Testament, in the church age, in the in the uh, age of God's wrath and the period of, of the millennial kingdom and the new heaven and earth, they just don't change. You can go through all of those time periods and you will find God faithfully operating in his relationship with us based upon who he is and what he has declared, his revelation. We looked last week then further on Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone, the stone which the builders rejected that became the chief cornerstone. And that is that while he is the goal and, and, and objective of all of the principles of God and the culmination of them, that he was not going to be put in place until just the right time. That at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly the scriptures declare in Romans. And so we find that all things were building and building and building and building up to him, that he becomes that fullness of the representation and the presentation of the principles of God to man. And that all must relate toward him in the past, all must, must flow from him to be counted in the, in the future of his kingdom. And so we saw how we build up to the capstone. We place the capstone in place. That is the day that the Lord has made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. We are coming up onto like, what, 1990, something like that? Uh, 1991, maybe, of um, celebrating that day when the capstone was put in place of the resurrection of our Lord. And so we see that and we rejoice in that because God declares it. And then, but we recognize that we must all conform to that now to be part of this structure, the building, the temple of God. It requires us to conform ourselves to the capstone. And we saw how all of that really fit together in the building concept that we see not in our modern ideas, but really in ancient ideas going all the way back into the pyramid, which we're going to talk about tonight and share a little bit of the, of 
the building of that and looking at some of the history and also the design of it, not only externally but internally because it is, the Great Pyramid is unusual, is different than all the others, all the others we are convinced is a copy of it, and that this is a biblical structure that uh, needs to be understood and recognized. And, and so we looked at that last week. We saw the theological significance of that, uh, of everything building up to Christ and then everything conforming to Christ from that point forward. That this is what defines you as being part of the structure of God, of his family, of his tree, of his building. That it requires that. And so as we look through all of the pre-Christ uh, revelation, as we look at uh, the manner in which people related with God, we see those principles established, nothing really changed, but they are all had to conform themselves and build that structure toward Christ. And now, as we see it from the top down, and our need to conform ourselves to that capstone. So all that was last week. This week we want to really look, and we've looked in the past at Paul and Ephesians. We looked at the Psalms with David, and of course with Peter, but there's two important passages that apply the same uh, scripture to Christ, and it is one by Jesus himself, and that's going to be our primary text today, but also in the Old Testament prophets of Daniel. And so let's go ahead and go to Matthew chapter uh, 21. Matthew chapter 21, if you'll turn there in your Bibles. And we're going to read a parable prior to that introduced this concept. And then Jesus is going to springboard off of that parable into the teaching from the scriptures. And so we want to handle the parable that bring it forward and then into the uh, teaching, realizing that the parable itself uh, got everyone mad. And the, the teaching on Jesus Christ as a stone the builders rejected is in response to their anger over his message of the parable. So let's read the parable itself, beginning in verse 33. And we're going to read all the way through the end of chapter 21 of Matthew. It says here, another parable, there was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. And he leased it to the vine dressers and went into a far country. Now when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Again he sent other servants more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then last of all he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? Then they, they said to him, He'll destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits of their seasons. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whom it falls, it will grind him to powder. Now when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, and they perceived that he was speaking of them, 
But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. So we find that Jesus Christ introduces this parable and he concludes this parable with a very striking question. And the striking question is, what is just, what is right to be done to these wicked men who have defied the authority of the owner of the vineyard? What should be done to them? When you consider not only that they are trying to abscond with something that isn't theirs, they're they are not wanting to give their due to the one who created the vineyard. He purchased it. It wasn't a vineyard when he purchased it. He, he, he put all of the work into it, and it's described here that he, he planted the vineyard. He put the hedge around it. He, he, he uh, put a, uh, dug a wine press into it and built a tower. If you go to the city of Nazareth today, they have for tourists a place that, is, that they have in, in Nazareth that they have tried to set aside to look like this kind of a vineyard, this kind of place. And you can go there and you can see the wine press. You can see where there would be a tower that for the uh, vine dressers to be able to view it. And then uh, in place of a hedge, they have a wall, but the idea of a hedged in, protected, everything needed. Everything ready from the beginning, the initiation, all the way through to the uh, pressing of the, of the fruit of the vine to its end of its harvest. And so they didn't put that all in. He did. He invested himself. And of course, this is a picture that Christ is trying to make of God making the heavens and the earth, that he is our creator, that he put all of this and then gave it to us as managers with all the authority to do all that was necessary uh, to care for it. They were the caretakers, and, and we have that authority to be caretakers of his earth. But let it be no mistake, it is his earth, not ours. And ultimately what sin is, is that we are rejecting God's authority over his creation, and we are exerting overwhelmingly our authority, staking claim to that which is actually God's. And of course, the servants and such that were sent to collect God's due. And what is God due? Why did he create the heavens and the earth? Why are we here? Well, what God is owed out of this wonderful vineyard that he planted was for us to worship him. That he receives all the glory, honor, and praise. Worshiping him is what he is owed it is not something that he should just be glad he gets anything from us. It is what he is owed. Every day, every moment of your life, God deserves your worship, your praise, your servitude. He deserves it because he made everything that is. That every molecule of oxygen that you enjoy Every drop of water that you require, every morsel of food that you eat comes from the Lord. They say, no, it comes from the grocery store. It comes from no, it doesn't. All we're doing there is just trading something that God's given someone else. All the economic system is is trading time. All you're doing when you're putting down money is you're buying time the time for someone else to raise food because you didn't. 
or don't know how. And they have learned how, or they have, have that skill to do that, or that means of doing that. But frankly, the soil brings forth. Soil, moisture, air is required to bring forth your food. It doesn't matter whether it's meat or vegetables, fruits, and such. Everything's free. All you're doing is paying for the time. You're just trading time is all you're doing. With, and you're just assigning value of time to dollars. That's all you're doing. And so we find that we have stolen the glory that is due to the Creator and stolen it for ourselves. That when we seek our own glory, we are stealing glory from who it really deserves it. And so God sent the prophets to collect what he is owed. And what was the prophet's continuous message? Glorify God. Surrender to him. Confess your sins. Commit yourself to following after him. Obey him. Be in a right relationship with him. You put yourself in a covenant. You call yourself God's people. You're in his land. You're, you're, You're benefiting from his blessings. Give him glory. And instead of doing that, they snarled at them, they hated them, they beat them, they imprisoned them, and they killed them. And every Jewish person listening to this recognizes that pattern because that's their history of their country. It is is memorialized in their very scriptures. And going all the way back, for Israel, for that case's sake, going all the way back to Moses. You've been reading through uh, your Bible reading passages, so you're into that section of Scripture, and to just see how they fought against Moses, even after being liberated from Egypt, walking through the Red Sea on dry ground, having water and manna every day and quail. They just kept fighting and fighting and fighting against, and and multiple times wanted to kill Moses. So we're talking from the very beginning of their national history all the way to Jesus' time. All God was calling them to is to glorify his name, and they rebelled against that. They were the evil vine dressers. And so the question is, what should be done to them? ultimate one was Jesus Christ himself being sent, the Son. The Son was sent, the heir, the one that all glory was to be transitioned from the Father to the Son, right? The owner, we understand inheritance, right? That once the Son inherits what the Father is granting him, which in our mind means at death, but that's not necessarily so, Uh, you can inherit, you can you can grant an inheritance to your children before you die. You really can do that. Uh, you don't have to hold on to it to death and let somebody else do it. You can determine those things ahead of time, not just through a will, but you can physically do that, transition all of the, the, the value to someone else. You can do that. And I know it's foreign to you, but most of the kings of Israel transitioned the authority of, of governing Israel before their death, David included. Uh, and so when we look at this, uh, here's the father saying, we're going to transition the ownership and to the son. He is the heir. 
You're going to respect him. You're going to glorify him. What was due me is now due to him. And instead of granting it to him, you say we can destroy him. And of course, that's what Israel did. And the question Jesus Christ comes forward is, what should be done to these evil people? And the multitudes know the answer. They all answer, well, you're going to destroy them because they're wicked they're, and, and, and have no mercy on them. That's destroy them miserably. Let them cry out and give them no mercy. Just, just destroy them and, and grant the vineyard to the other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their seasons. Uh, that if they won't accept if they won't give glory and give the fruits of the vineyard, the, the glory to God, then grant it to others who will. Which, of course, Christ here is prophesying of the transition of, of the offer of God to primarily Israel to primarily not Israel. And when I say primarily, you know it doesn't mean exclusively. So it wasn't exclusively to Israel. We have many, we have, we have enough evidences of those outside of Israel worshiping the true and living God to know that it wasn't exclusive, but it was primarily. And, and now is working primarily through the church. Does that mean that, that Israelites can't get saved? No, but they will do that just as others say, I'm going to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, even if I'm not a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob, I'm going to worship the God of and similarly, those of Israel must then, I'm going to worship Jesus Christ, who the Jews largely view as a God different from their God. This is a huge thing for them, not recognizing it's the same one. It's one and the same. The Lord our God, he is one. And so, now it is primarily through the church, as they offer still there to Israel, and there's a remnant there that have that have received Jesus Christ their Savior and they have an active ministry back in Israel in these last days. It's been phenomenal to see that happening in, in the resurgence of, of Christian teaching, teaching of Jesus Christ as the Messiah in Israel is, is encouraging and exciting as it has traversed the globe now and, and gone into the, back into the promised land. So we find that this has occurred. The question is, what should be happened? They should be destroyed. Others should be in their place. And this then, Jesus draws them to this passage. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone in Psalm, which we studied last week. But I want you to notice the purpose of the stone. That we see the stone, and Jesus Christ describes two events happening to it. Now we look at the chief cornerstone, we say, and we sing about it, and we're going to sing about it after the, after the sermon, and rightly should we do that because we should give all glory, because that is what he is owed as our owner, as our Savior, as our Creator, as <laughs> our Lord. He, he, he deserves all of that. And so rightly do we sing his praises. But we often only view half of what he, that represents. What we're looking at is the half that we 
get to glorify. That is, I, as I conform myself to this capstone and I align myself with it and form this wonderful exterior shell, if you will, not structural, but, but really just beautification of the structure, as I align myself with that, that I can then give praise and glory and it draws your eyes all the way up to that capstone. Uh, and you can't miss looking at a pyramid. If you see a finished pyramid, it draws your attention up. It just does. No matter what angle you look at it from, it draws your attention, even from above, it draws your attention to the center. Every line moves, and your eye naturally moves with it to the cap. It just does. And, and everyone who's studied art knows that. That's how you use these lines, and you draw attention, and... It does that, and so we see that that is our part, and we're excited about that, but we forget that that's only half of what the capstone represents. And Jesus Christ isn't going to focus on that half. Because of the nature of what he just taught in this parable, he wants to talk about what happens if you don't align yourself with the capstone. If you don't build towards that central theme of the principles of God with regard to man. If you don't build up towards that, and if you don't conform yourself to that after the day that he is resurrected, then there's another very different, powerful part of the capstone. And Jesus Christ describes it this way. He, and we want to look at that, and somewhat of a negative, but it's also a little bit exciting, as we're going to see when we get into Daniel as well. It says, therefore, the kingdom of God will be taken from you, given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. So we see the church replacing Israel, verse 43. Then we come to verse 44, and it says, whoever falls on this stone will be broken. Now, there's two ways to reject this. I want you to notice there's two different ways presented to reject the capstone. One is to he describes as falling on it. That is, you're trying to cover it. You're trying to, to pretend that, that it, it isn't what it is. And what happens if you fall on a pyramidic capstone? <laughs> you don't want to do that. We talked a little bit about that. It's like it's worse than stepping on Legos. Can you imagine if Legos were pyramid-shaped? Ouch. Okay, I've stepped on a few. I've raised enough kids to step on Legos in, in bare feet or stocking feet even. And uh, it's not fun. And so here is the capstone. And you, you fall on that, it will break you. You're falling on a point that will simply, you will break upon it. Even rock. Now, I've broken some rock in my day, and, and even concrete, manufactured rock or natural rock. And if you ever want to just break rock, what do you do? Well, you find another rock that is somewhat pointy, and all you have to do is drop another big rock on, even though this rock is many times bigger than that rock that's like this, sitting on the ground. You drop it on there, what happens? Right where that point hits that rock, it breaks. You try to bury Christ, you try to smother that message, which is what the Israel tried to do. If you read through the early chapters of Acts, you'll see Israel trying to smother the message. Do not preach in this name! You're filling the Jerusalem with this name. Stop it. It'll break you apart. You try to smother this message, you try to smother the principles of God culminating in the capstone Jesus Christ, it will break you to pieces. 
You think you're greater than that message? You think you figured something out better than that message? You're a fool. Because this message will penetrate you and shatter you, no matter how strong you think you are. This is the power of a capstone. That whatever falls on it breaks to pieces. But there's a second response too. And it says, On whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. And again, like a, like a mortar and pestle, we find that <laughs> same principle there. Uh, we see it in stonework that how do we grind things to powder? Well, you put it between two rocks. Here's the foundation. Here's the top stone. What does a pyramidic stone look like? Well, it's got a flat bottom. You put that flat bottom on the base, and it just, it just starts squishing. And pretty soon, all that's coming out the sides is powder. You want to simply disavow that there is a Jesus Christ, that there is a creator. You just want to disavow. You don't want to cover it up. You're just going to totally ignore it. Then it's going to come crushing upon you one day. You think you can just tool along and, and pretend that, that there isn't a day of accounting for all men, that there isn't a judgment seat of Christ for the believer, there isn't a, a great white throne judgment for the balance of mankind. You want to just proceed along, you'll be crushed to powder by that very stone because if you don't conform yourself to it, you're in the way. And it will simply pulverize you. This is the power of Jesus Christ. He is either going to be your capstone that you're going to submit yourself to, that you're going to build up to in the past, now that we're on this side of that wonderful day, we want to conform ourselves to its plane so we line up right with it and point all attention to it, and we're going to define ourselves by it, or you're going to be pulverized by it. You get underneath it, try to ignore that it's there, Pretend that it doesn't have authority, that's fine. But here's the consequence. The consequences, it will destroy you. We often think of Christ as a redeemer, and that is true. But he's also the judge of all the earth. That when he comes, today is the day of salvation. This is when we focus on him as being the redeemer, rightly so. But we also need to add, he is also the judge of all the earth. That one day he will come with a rod of iron. That he will be pouring out the wrath of God. That he will be judging the earth. That it is he who is the, the culmination of the same principles of God that says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But the power of God is not just invoked toward our salvation. The power of God can be equally invoked towards the judgment of sin. That as wonderful as our salvation is, is how awesome the, the judgment of God is. And here we find the cornerstone not only making a people who were not the people of God suddenly become the people of God, but the ones that are in the way are just going to be crushed. They're going to be pulverized or broken apart by falling on it. And thus we see that the church, that which submits itself to uh, align with Christ fully, becomes the most visible element of the building of God in these days. It is not that we 
disregard the foundation upon which this was all built, the, the prophets, the apostles, the revelation of God, the principles of God, the working of God. Oh no, we understand fully and we appreciate and marvel at the foundation stones that have built up to Christ in the past. And, but, but our wonder and our desire is to align ourselves perfectly with the capstone, the chief cornerstone. And if we do not, the result will be similar to what happened to Israel. And Paul talks about this in Romans, that uh, you know, God rejected them. And, and you were brought in, you were spliced in as a wild olive branch into the trunk of God's working. But don't think that that means you can't be severed off and Israel reestablished. It is all premised upon, are you going to coordinate and cooperate and, and align yourself with the capstone? It is the determining factor for all of God's working, past, present, and future, is Jesus Christ. And of course, the Pharisees didn't like the parable. They didn't like the, the handling of Psalm 118 any better and they want to destroy him. They're actually going to do exactly what he said in the previous verse they were going to do. They're going to try to oppose him directly. And you try to oppose him directly, we know it's going to happen. You're going to be destroyed. You're going to be broken into pieces because you're going to fall on that rock. And that indestructible point will destroy you. That's what the Pharisees, Sadducees had happened to them. And hence, when we get two more chapters from this, from chapter 21, you get over to chapter, three more chapters, 24, uh, you find that Christ moves into, here's the destruction of Jerusalem. And, and the apostles are like, when, this, when is this going to all happen? And Jesus says, well, here's what's going to happen first, and you're going to see this, that Jerusalem's going to be destroyed, uh, there's going to be time of tribulation, uh, and uh, people are going to hate you, they're going to do all this, but you just keep following me. Keep aligning yourself with the capstone. And once the building is completed and it's all finished, there will be great glory. You keep bringing glory to the capstone. And so this was all anticipated. Christ Jesus is just, a, this is really a prophetic passage. Christ is saying, here's what's going to happen. And it wasn't very long afterwards that the Pharisees and Sadducees, the scribes, didn't exist anymore. Uh, even to this day. What we have are rabbis now, but you do not have a Sanhedrin. Even if you go to Israel, there are parliamentarian, uh, sort of de democratic government, to a degree, and different than ours. It's not like America, but it is, it is a democratic parliamentarian government and it's not ruled by a religious group because they opposed Jesus Christ and they are broken to pieces. And when we come to a passage that says, look at this temple now, one stone will be upon another. This is what happens when you reject Jesus Christ. This is a prophetic statement. Now, that's with regard to Israel. Here in Matthew 21 and into 24, Jesus Christ is really putting the pressure on 
the, the national entity Israel for rejecting Jesus Christ? Does it apply to anyone else is the question. Now that that's done, is that role, is that place of the capstone as a judge, not only as a redeemer, but as a judge, still in place? Well, to find out, let's go to Daniel. Because Daniel's talking not to Israel, but to the nations. And so I invite you to turn to early books of Daniel. This is early on, Daniel chapter 2. And of course, we have Nebuchadnezzar uh, being the, the one to whom God uh, gave the dream. Isn't that interesting? Uh, we often think, well, God only reveals himself to the prophets. No, both in Pharaoh and now Nebuchadnezzar on many occasions, uh, even, even the horrible uh, Balaam uh, and his donkey, that God reveals himself even to wicked men uh, and because he's consistent. And so Nebuchadnezzar has had a dream. Correct? But he doesn't remember the dream. <laughs> he just knows it's really good. I need to know it, and let alone what it means. And so no one can do this, no one can do this. Someone says, well, there's this guy that we brought from Israel. Uh, he's a smart character. Uh, let's have uh, him tell us. And so let's go ahead and read a portion of this. Start in verse uh, 28. No, let's, yeah, 28. And notice the what Daniel is doing. Please notice right away in verse 28, who is getting the glory? Remember, everything before the capstone must build toward the capstone. Everything after this capstone must align itself with the capstone. Okay, so Daniel's on which side? He's on the building side. He has to build towards it. We're aligning ourselves with it because it already exists. Here we go. Verse 28, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. He who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes who make known the interpretation of the king, that you may know the thoughts of your heart. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. That's what we were looking for. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed together. There's that second word. Interesting, huh? Both words used together. And became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And that stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now we'll tell the interpretation of it before the king. And we find out in the interpretation, if we kept reading, that these are successive empires upon the earth among the nations. This is not really about Israel at all. This is about the nations of Babylon, of Assyria, of Media, Persia, of Greece, of Rome. And if we extend into the revelation of the British Empire, American Empire, you have these all presented in Scripture. These are the nations, and they 
also have a relationship with this stone cut out, not with human hands. You either will be broken by it and crushed by it. That's what will happen to the nations. Isn't that wonderful? Not if your trust is in the nations. It's only wonderful if your trust is in the stone that the builders rejected. So let's go and see what happens. He describes the nations. Let's jump down to verse 44. And in the days of these kings, that's the kings that uh, are the weakest uh, among the ten toes mixed to iron and clay, in the days of these kings, the God of heaven, which is our days, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall be shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. The stone the builders rejected is, is the capstone. And we think that, well, that's a wonderful, glorious thing, and it is if you have been building up towards it, and now if you align yourself with it. But if you are not aligned with that capstone, if you were not building up towards it and giving glory there, then it is the same entity that will destroy you, that will judge you. And so, while Jesus spoke to Israel as a nation and said, listen, either you accept the Son or you be destroyed by the Son of God. The same can be said to the nations. Either you accept Jesus Christ as the Lord of Lords and King of Kings or you'll be destroyed by the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. There is no, cent there is no middle ground here. There is no gray area. This is the conclusion of the matter. The kingdom of God is the only one that will last forever and ever. And it will utterly break in pieces and pulverize the nations. Not just for the thousand year reign, for we see the nations rise up again and we see then the, the battle of Gog, Magog, but even and then we have this complete destruction of the nations in its fullness. I would contend that the battle of Armageddon is the breaking in pieces and the battle of Gog, Magog is the grinding to powder. They're just no longer there. You see, the capstone isn't just the capstone of Israel. It is a capstone of all of God's creation, Jesus Christ. It all points to him. It all derives life from him. It all must align with him or be destroyed by him. And this is the fullness of it. And when we come back to Peter then with these passages in place and we start to see how these affect what Peter has to say. So now we've, we've, we've I pretty much studied every passage that I can really find. There's a couple that talk about precious stones uh, in Solomon's temple that we could bring application in. So, so I'm not going to say it's exhaustive what we've done, but we've certainly done overwhelming ones of those that directly address this. We come back to 1 Peter. And now we read this with a much greater understanding, a much more full uh, application of these principles to what 
the message of Peter really is. And remember, the message is you have an opportunity to be a living stone in the temple of God. But you will never be the capstone. It's not about you. But you get to be added on. Because the capstone has, uh, in the process of, in Peter's day, the capstone was in the process of breaking Israel to pieces and then pulverizing it for rejecting Jesus Christ. But you have a privilege because even as it does that, it uh, puts itself in its proper place as the capstone of the building of God, the temple of God. And now you who weren't part of this foundation rising up, you weren't part of this laying down the revelation. I, you didn't add to that structure in that fashion. You didn't build up to Christ. Now Christ is in place and you have the privileged position of now being added on to the great structure. And as we saw last week, we have this addition of a very different kind of stone. The stone of the exterior of the pyramid was very different than the stone of the interior. We are living stones. That is, our nature, our makeup now matches the capstone. The capstone was of brilliant marbles, what we understand it to be, that all of the other stones that aligned to it were also of marble. They were ex- that's why they were taken away over the millennia, uh, and it has been millennia that that structure is still there. It's still there. And by the way, tonight we'll talk about why it will still be there, had to still be there, um, for Christ's coming. And we're going to see that, it's, that God isn't done with that great pyramid in his prophetic word. And we're going to find it in Isaiah again in the future, to us even. And so we find that that material is of a different nature. And so Peter comes and says, listen, you get to be living stones in the temple of God. Jesus Christ is the capstone. The foundation was the, was the prophets and the, and the apostles, the revelation of God. Everything from creation is built up to this Point, and now we have an opportunity to align ourselves with Christ, being of the nature of Christ. We who are not a people are now a people. We who are outside of the building process now get to be part of the beautification process. The finished trim, if you will, of God's temple. Verse 8 says... He is a stumbling stone, a rock of offense. He says, they stumble, I mean, I mean, 1 Peter 2.8, they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. We're going to talk about that word appointed and, and the chosenness and all of that that we uh, are, are going to look at next Lord's Day and how it was moved away from them. But we go back to recognizing that they stumbled over Jesus Christ. They could not build up to him, nor could they accept and align themselves to him. They failed doubly. They failed. They were on both sides of the work of Christ. They were on both sides of the resurrection. And rather than building up to it and then aligning to it on either side, 
they stumbled against it. And they were disobedient. And they're condemned. But we are of a different nature. That if we have received Christ and acknowledged Christ Jesus and his authority and his place as the capstone, then we are going to come in and not transfer the promises and practices of Israel to the church. Many have taken this passage and said, well, that means we are now the church. That's Reformed doctrine where we, uh, the Reform, all the Reformers taught that, that the church became Israel. No. We are distinctly different than Israel, but we are the recipients of the same grace of God. Because God operates on the same principles always, remember. But now we are the recipients of that. Does that mean God cannot, at a later date, again work primarily through Israel? No, he can, and he will. At least through the first half of the seven years of the outpouring of his wrath, and certainly during the millennial kingdom, for that thousand years he will work primarily through Israel because we won't even be on the, on the earth, face of the earth anymore, likely, uh, we might possibly have access to it, but uh, we'll be in a, in a different condition. We'll be in our glorified state. We'll be with Christ. Wherever he is, we will be. And so we find that we are in a privileged class, but recognize what that means. What that means is that you must give glory to the capstone. And if you don't, prepare for the consequences. Because the capstone isn't just a beautiful thing, it is a terrible thing. Not terrible and as bad, but terrible as in frightening. Brings terror to you. That's what terrible means. Bringing terror. You should be afraid. Because you don't want to fall on it, and you don't want it to crush you. So therefore... You align yourself to it. I say, is fear really a good motivation for doing right? Well, you use it with your children all the time. I've watched you. Some of you do it with more success than others um, because you back up your or else with something. The or else happens. When the or else happens, then the kids go, oh, he means it. I don't want the or else. Got it last time. I'm going to obey. So don't tell me fear is not a functional a benefit for obedience. Is it the best benefit? Is it the best reason for obedience? No. No, the best reason for obedience is I love you, Dad, Mom, I'm going to obey you no matter what. Without debate, without delay, without complaint. Those are the three withouts. I, I, yeah, I love for the kids to obey because they, without complaint, without delay, um, what was the other without? I'll think about it now. I'd love them to do all that in love. But I'm willing to accept that they'll do all that out of fear. If in the end, there's obedience. We would all prefer that it does, and I'm pretty sure God is in the same condition, right? But Jesus Christ makes it very clear that if you are in a place of disobedience, which Israel was in the time, the nations are today, they're in a place of disobedience, you need to be reminded, here's the consequence, the stone the builders rejected will break you and crush you and, sh- and 
demolish you, pulverize you to powder. There's no strength in powder. I don't want that to happen. I want to lend glory to God. I want things in my life to point everyone's attention to something above me, higher than me, as you sang already this morning, to the one that is higher than I. I want all that attention. I want to reflect glory right up. I want to be one of those lines that just draws people's eyes towards Christ. That's what it means to align with Jesus Christ. It demands righteousness and holiness. It demands faithfulness. It demands all those things that Christ is for us. For what God is for us through Christ, we should be to one another and to the world to his glory. And this is what is entailed here. We have an opportunity to recognize that there are consequences to rejection, and those consequences are severe. They are not just for Israel. They are also for the nations. I will contend they are for all men, for each individual. And this is where Peter takes it. Certainly Jesus is talking about national Israel. Certainly Daniel is talking about the nations. But here Peter is talking about you as a person. You can either be a living stone in the temple of God or you will be crushed by that same glorious stone. So either have the fear of the Lord and have the wisdom that it produces or marvel at the glory, whatever reason, oh, that we would conform ourselves to the capstone. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for these scriptures and how they give us a fullness and an understanding of who you are. Lord, help us be balanced in our understanding of that and full. But Lord, we know that understanding this really isn't enough for the enemies of Christ understood what he taught and hated him. We could hate things that we understand rather than submit to him. Lord, help us to submit to our understanding that we might love you with all of our hearts, minds, souls, and strength, that we might follow you all of our days. We might bring glory to your name because it is due. Lord, help us to bring everyone's eyes, everyone's attention to you in all that we do in our life. Where we fail, Lord, please forgive us. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being living stones in your temple, the opportunity that you have given to all men to be a part of your family, of your tree, of your building. Lord, we recognize it as our choice. We pray that we might um, be wise in our choosing. In Christ Jesus' name. Amen.